Hey everyone, this is Andrew and this is Leave Your Shoes by the Door and today I'm joined with Mark Nottingham. Mark, thanks for being on here. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So Mark, this is a very exciting episode because this is going to be the last episode of Leave Your Shoes by the Door of 2020. This will be our December final episode and I don't want to get in the mucky muck talking about 2020. It's been said, it's been done. But my question to you, Mark, is, is in the wake of something like 2020, would you see yourself as a, as a positive person? Yes. You're, you're the type who kind of glasses always half full kind of guy? Absolutely. So I set you up on that, Mark, because I've talked to some of your agents, and, I, and I've, I've investigated your office, the uh, Platt Collective, and I know that you have a, a specific kind of culture or workplace environment that you kind of promote. So could you elaborate on that? Yeah, Absolutely. I'd like to think of myself as a glasses half full person because I think there's always opportunity. And I don't ever want that to be that we're belittling challenges or that we're ignoring, uh, you know, bad circumstances or, or things that are going wrong. But I think in life it's cheesy, but I believe it. Most of our outcomes are driven by how we respond so when you say, uh, and I'm sorry, Mark, I am going to interrupt you throughout this, and I hope that's okay. But you say always opportunity, and are you saying like always opportunity, like there's always a silver lining, no matter what the situation? There's always an opportunity to find positivity in any situation? I think that's right. Yeah, even in the middle of stuff that, right, to acknowledge that it's a challenge is healthy, and to say things don't always go well. Uh, but at the same time, I think maintaining positive positive attitude and saying, okay, in light of what's going on that I can't control, I need to really quickly be able to get to a healthy place where I'm going to say, now what do I do? Sure. And I don't want to, I already got ahead of myself because I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this, but let's learn a little bit about Mark Nottingham. What's your position at Platt Collective? Uh, broker owner. Broker owner, and you've been in the biz for 12 years? 12 years. Just want to make sure all the listeners know before we, we hear your point of view. So can you give me uh, just like a, an example, a, a real black and white example of of that philosophy that you've uh, empowered your agents with or a philosophy that you encourage at, at Platt Collective? Yeah, so in 2020, you know, uh, in March, when there's so much uncertainty. The world changed. Yeah, the world immediately changed. And in our industry specifically, there was a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen to the marketplace. You know, I think providing a little bit of perspective and saying, hey, in 2009, right, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of anxiety and being able to look at some of the information about what happened then can be helpful. To say sometimes in the moment, we have fears about things that aren't going to come true. But at the same time, I think it's a good reminder to say we have the privilege that our primary job is to service the needs of a client. It's not actually to sell a product. We're a service industry. We're not a sales industry. A service industry, I would make the argument that in bad circumstances good service actually becomes more important. The value, uh, the uh, exchange that we're able to provide for our clients could increase in value because of the hard circumstances. And so I think there's an example to say, look, our, our job is to our client, and if things are headed where we think they might be headed, uh, we're going to be more you know, helpful and value add to them than we were last year. I think there's satisfaction that that comes in that. Now, uh, the year didn't turn out like we thought it was going to in March. I'm going to be honest. You said it's been talked about. We can move on, but 
let's be honest and say uh, by the third week in March when we realized what was going on, I think as an industry, had you told us what the industry's numbers were going to be by November, anyone that believed you at that point in time and, and would say that, they were smarter than me. You, you have those ideas. How, do you, how did you enforce them? Did you have staff meetings? I mean, that's another thing, and, and I'm, I'm going to get personal on this. It's hard for me personally and, and, and extrovert to connect via yeah. Zoom. So that immediately kind of took me out of being able to get a grip with things. And I'm sure with Realtors, is no exception. So when you're trying to enforce these philosophies and try that, try to find that silver lining and challenge people to find the positivity in such an overwhelming situation, how did you do that as a leader? Yeah, we tried to increase connectivity as a company. Um, you know, as an industry our industry can be pretty isolating, right? Just generally speaking, we don't do a great job of connecting with each other within our office, within our company, uh, office to office, company to company. It's just not one of our industry's strong suits. We tend to be islands. I mean, but that's... Everyone's a competitor. Yeah. Even within your own office, everyone's competitors, let alone people outside of your office. Yeah, you're right. They are, um, you know, here's the thing. I think you can approach the industry with a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality. And, you know, we could dive into the two philosophies, but I work hard to maintain a philosophy of abundance in every way that I can. And there are smarter people than me that do a really great job of explaining the difference between the two. But the amateur explanation that I'll give is that scarcity assumes there is a fixed set of something out there. And if I do something to help my peer get that something, mm -hmm. I've made it less likely that I'm going to get that something. Well, it's, a, it's an economic fallacy, right? The world is not a fixed pie. An abundance mentality would say the two of us, in building a relationship with each other, with each other and being connected with each other, can create that something can actually be created in that relationship, not just exchanged. Yeah. Uh, and so if you come to our industry with that mentality, why not have as much connectivity as you can? There's limits to that, right? You, to be realistic, we're all human beings with so much emotional, mental energy and time. <clears throat> but as much as possible, being connected with each other will add value to everyone at right. that table. And that's a, a high tide lifting all boats kind of approach. Correct. But yeah. let's let's really, I want to go back to that because I'm thinking if, if I'm an, an individual agent and I'm looking for that commission check because I need that commission check. I got mm -hmm. bills, I got to get food on the table and I help Mark, you know, get a, get a listing. That's great. And I'm glad that Mark's happy. But what you're saying though is, on a grander scheme, in a more abstract way, but also a very realistic economic way, you providing that service to that client and, and that client getting a great experience out of you and the, the, the brand and the industry is going to instill a confidence that will, in a long term, it will eventually benefit me in a very direct way. I think that's a good example of how it would work. Yes. I think it's also true to say that the exchange between human beings has to be mutual. One-sided relationships aren't relationships. And so 
the uh, you literally have the buzz. Well, you don't have collaboration up there. You oh, do you have don't? synergy. You do have synergy. synergy yeah, on. of course, I'm gonna play synergy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, collaboration. Look, it's a buzzword. I get it. Uh, but the concept is the two of us together are more than the sum of our individual resources. And I, I believe that. I think, as, like I said, as an industry, I don't think we're great at that. So in that scenario where you know one realtor helped another realtor uh, get some business or close some business, I think the way the world works is that now it has become more likely that... Uh, in that case, the receiver becomes the giver. Um, and there's real value creation there. It's, again, not just exchange. Exchange, you have something, I have something, we trade them. Um, that's the way that you know any marketplace works. But that there is actually a value creation mm-hmm. in the middle of that exchange. That isn't quantifiable. Correct. So you mentioned collaboration, and, and I'm a huge fan. Of, I have it written on my my board in my office because I, I think it's a great thing too. Uh, well, first off, have you been with Platt for the 12 years? Did you start Platt or did you, were you a, an agent before and then you started Platt on your own? Uh, I was an agent at another company here in Central okay. Indiana for two years uh, and then went on my own two years in, into the industry. Uh, that company changed its name to Platt two years ago. Okay, gotcha. And I, I knew that. I should have done better research. You just found a hole in my journalism. <laughs> Unintentional. (laughs) So uh, what I'm going to ask you, though, is these ideas of collaboration and what you're saying is a tough sell. It's a tough sell. Yeah. You know, if if, when I said the agent who who needs that commission check in a very realistic way, what you just said is a tough sell. But obviously you truly believe in it, and obviously you found success in it as a leader with Platt Collective, and your agents, I'm sure, can testify to that. Has it always been that way? Has our industry always been that way? And, And we're just now unlocking that path to success. I, the, the idea of collaboration and a high tide lifting all boats and, and that yeah. way of, of even though you and I are working together, but you're going to get the, the, the financial reward of this, that's still going to professionally benefit me. Is that something that's always been there, but we've always just been too scared to embrace it and now we're finding real success in it? Or has the industry evolved with mm. you know the information age and, and now... John Q. Public can learn so much about real estate and, and property or uh, tax records and things like that. They can get so educated that it's just the whole industry has evolved, the, the model has evolved, that that's the way it has to be. Or What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Well, our industry certainly has changed a lot in the last 12 years since I've been in. But I don't think the reality I'm talking about, the value of collaboration is new. And I think there's always been people who recognize it. And there still are many other people that recognize that this is not some genius invention of mine. Plenty of people in our industry know it. And so you didn't it. create the philosophy of collaboration? Unfortunately, I cannot claim it. Then why are we doing this? I created oh, why are we doing philosophy. this episode? I'm just kidding. But I think there are, uh, there are plenty of examples of it. But as an industry, for a couple of reasons, I think just as an industry, we incentivize the isolation. And, and we actually kind of celebrate it. Yeah. We're an industry of... Self-made. Yeah. We're yeah. an industry of islands, and the, the perception, the definition of success oftentimes is to highlight the individual. And I'm not, I'm not anti that. I'm not opposed to individuals getting credit when credit is due. And we are uh, in an in industry of hyper-small 
business models, right? Yeah. One individual that is their own business owner that affiliates with a lot of people that are necessary to make their business work. Yeah. Right? But still, a business unit oftentimes is one person. So I'm not opposed to the individualism or the independence, but I think because of that, the industry struggles to achieve that value of collaboration and synergy because we're kind of setting up the model as the uber successful individual. And so I think it's always been true. I'm sure there are always people that have been able to create that type of culture. Uh, But I also think it's an opportunity, right? If the theory works and the idea is correct, that that is creating value, then it's a good business opportunity for both the company and the individuals that are doing it. Right. I, I, I appreciate the optimism, but you also have to be realistic if you're going to be successful. So in your 10 years of, of the broker owner, am I accurate? 10 years as yes. a broker owner of, of Platt Collective, have you had an, an agent come into your office that just didn't click with that? How do you know when someone comes in your office and they, they aren't, they just aren't wired. They aren't wired to embrace that. They're more of that individual. And that, like you said, there's nothing wrong with that. There's many pathways to success yeah, and, and fulfillment. How do, you, how do you deal with that? Can, can somebody, is that an inherent trait or can it be taught? What do you see that as a, as a leader? Yeah, I think it's both. I think it's inherent. I think it can also be learned or expanded on. And yeah, absolutely. We've, we've had plenty of, of great realtors, uh, good people within the company who... Uh, for whatever reason, their philosophy, their personality aren't able to buy into that model. But I think it's a spectrum, right? Yeah, um, right. I think everybody can move uh, in terms of their philosophy and, and what they see as valuable. I think sometimes we've had people that go through a process of unlearning. Yeah. Right? They've been in the industry in another environment. And not to critique that environment, but to thrive in ours, they probably had to unlearn some things. And so I, I, I back to the glasses half full, um, I always look for the opportunity or the potential in a human being. I, I try to assume the best, and I see in everybody at, like the same thing I hope they see in me, which is their limitations, their weaknesses those are their opportunities to grow. And so if they don't come from a collaborative mindset or they don't understand or buy into an abundance philosophy, I look at that and say, hey, fantastic, because you're already succeeding. Yeah. Um, if you can, over the course of years, begin to embrace this and learn to see the value in that collaborative model, you're going to succeed all the more. So it's not going to be for everybody. I, I, no, no environment, no culture. It's probably accurate to say um, maybe even one of the definitions of culture is that it can't be something that works for everyone. Right. Because kind of by definition, culture is like this set of norms and thinking and and boundaries, right, that it's just not going to be a fit for some, yeah. Yeah. And as a leader, I mean, you you got to square off with certain individuals and and convince them of that, right? Yeah, that's right. um, I think if you don't, stand for something and, and really try to focus in and, and differentiate and say, hey, this is what makes us who we are. Well, then you're nothing, right? Like right. Something has to make you who you are, and this is one of those things for us. Yeah. 
So I want to go back to this idea of, of scarcity versus abundance. Uh, this, the, you kind of blew my mind with that. That's an interesting way of looking at things. Um, and I mean, it's no, it is absolutely no secret at all in our industry, the, the low inventory, which mm-hmm. is synonymous with the word scarcity. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that and, and how you see that and how you find the silver lining in that? Yeah, um, I think it's probably the largest issue facing our industry right now, certainly in our marketplace, but nationwide. Yeah, I, I think as a, as a city, we're going through a big change. And also, I'll, I'll jump off of the scarcity of inventory, uh, and maybe this isn't where you want to go with this question, but this is where my mind goes. Take a look at Indianapolis right now. We're still the second most affordable of the 30 largest markets in the country. We have very low inventory. Interest rates are historically low. And ignoring for a moment a a defined period of time because of COVID, the job market in the central Indiana community is incredible. It's arguably too good, right? Employers can't even find enough people to fill jobs. The uh, financial sustainability of our state as an entity Um, is one of the best in the country, you start to add all of that stuff up, drop in that our population is already growing. We're coming up, I really think we are coming up on a significant change to the housing market in central Indiana. This summer we saw, uh, I believe it was three, maybe four months in a row, uh, the MIBOR geographic area set a record median price, at least three, I think it was four months in a row. Sure. Um, not surprising to me, and the big change hasn't happened yet. I'm not, in, in this comment, I'm not espousing that that's a good or a bad thing. I'm only trying to speak to the reality. So when you say scarcity of inventory, my mind goes to Indianapolis is going to see significant price increase over the remainder of my career. So I know I, I appear as an expert to you, Mark. I know that. But... Let's just let, let, let me play the layman here. And so you're saying a, a, an, an increase of the cost of living? Yes. Doesn't that worry you about like gentrification and, and losing the culture and the identity of the indie? Because maybe the, the typical indie resident can't afford these higher prices of living. And, and what provided that charm that you're talking about might be lost in that significant change? I think there's a lot of things to be concerned about. Yes. I think as a city, we do have an opportunity right now that some of the other cities in the country that you might consider to be like aspirational, right? For, for a city like Indianapolis, not saying we do aspire to be them, but uh, Nashville, Denver, Austin, right. Texas, Portland, some cities that have things in common with Indy, but the average person would say, wait a minute, Indianapolis isn't like those places. And, that, and that's true. So I think we have an opportunity to say, look at all of the information that would suggest we are about to see a significant increase in the cost of living. So what are we going to do about that? Right. And I'm not suggesting that's an easy question. It's not. It's a very difficult question. I'm not suggesting that the increase to the cost of living is a good thing. It presents a lot of problems. Sure. When you ask me about low inventory, my mind goes to as a city, we just can't miss the fact that prices are going to go up. Yeah. And they already are. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break so that we can hear from the MyBoard updates. 
Hello everyone, I am Jamie Barb and welcome to the MyBoard Update. On November 23rd, MyBoard Realtor Association moved to a new association management system, GrowZone. This tool is primarily for staff, however members will notice a few changes initially to the pages you currently access from your dashboard including pay my bill, member search, and update my information. Visit myboard.com news for more information. Beginning October 30th through January 19th, the MyBoard office building will temporarily close. All MyBoard employees will work remotely and there will be no disruption to your service. Curbside pickup will be available by appointment Monday and Friday from 1 to 4 p.m. Visit myboard.com coronavirus for more information. Are you new to Matrix? Could you use a Matrix refresher? MyBoard is now offering introduction to Matrix twice a month in addition to all the other intermediate level Matrix courses. To register for any Matrix class, visit myboard.com slash tech trainings. Beginning immediately, all MyBoard broker listing cooperative subscribers will receive full reciprocity access to CenturyLock lockboxes of members of Greater Northwest Indiana Association of Realtors, Terre Haute Area Association of Realtors, and the Indiana Regional MLS. These agreements were finalized to solve overlapping market disorder where frustrated subscribers were unable to access lockboxes in crossover areas. Matrix X is now live. Matrix X from CoreLogic is the latest version of Matrix and transforms the user experience. The new look and feel combines modern color palettes, iconography, navigation, and design. Matrix X offers easier navigation, concierge improvements, and new contacts module, and much more. If you haven't already, log into the BLC today and check it out. Be sure to save the date for the Ball 2021. Held each January to honor MyBoard's volunteer leaders and announce the coveted industry awards. The Ball is a time-honored tradition for our association. The tradition continues with a new twist in 2021. Join the event online, bid on silent auction items, donate your meal to a local homeless shelter, enjoy entertainment, and cheer on the industry award nominees all from the comfort of your own home. Enjoy the ball in your favorite evening gown or in your pajamas. The event features 2021 MyBoard President Regina Jones, MC Scott Pollard, auctioneers Todd Ferris and Terry Wagner, live entertainment, online auction, MyBoard Industry Awards, and so much more. Save the date for Saturday, January 23rd. Pre-show entertainment starts at 6.30 p.m. And that's all today for your MyBoard update. And now back to our interview with Mark Nottingham. You, you talked about Indy, uh, and Platt is located right here in Indianapolis. Around um, the corner from MyBoard. Right, yeah, yeah. Real, did you, were you at Platt earlier today? Yeah. Did you drive over? Right yeah. on. Good. Platt being city-focused. Are you from Indy? Are you from no, Indianapolis? I, I grew up in Indiana. Okay. Uh, but on the east side of the state in Richmond. Okay. I lived in Indianapolis now for 13 years. So I was in Indy for about a year before I got into real estate. Richmond, the one with the RV place? That is accurate. <laughs> I went to college all the way on the east coast of the United States. And the only thing I can recall anyone on the east coast being able to recall about Richmond, Indiana was the Tom Raper RV. There it is. Located. So I'm glad that you knew that as well. You're yeah. welcome. Uh, so I want to talk more about uh, Platt being uh, city-focused in, in Indianapolis and, and your love for Indianapolis. And before we, we, before we can talk about real things, I just want to ask you just this very surface-level question. What is the best moment of Indianapolis in your experience? What is our crowning achievement as a city? Was it 
the Colts winning a Super Bowl? Was it building? I'm, I'm gonna. I, I'm. I'm a protege of Peyton Manning, so like building of Lucas Oil when we hosted the Super Bowl. What was a, a, the crowning achievement that really was as as a as a guy who's a fan of Indianapolis that you're most proud of? Hmm. Boy, that is a really good question. I, I hear uh, we're getting a Shake Shack soon, so maybe uh, that might be it coming up. But yes, yeah. Um, okay, I'm gonna cheat and give you two answers. Um, I think hosting the Super Bowl was a, a fantastic thing. Um, did it did it spread the positive outcome across the city in the way that I would have loved it to? Probably not. I don't know that that's a realistic uh, gauge. I think Indianapolis did really well, showed itself to the world. Uh, but I'm going to go with the cultural trail. Yeah, awesome. Um, totally. I am totally biased because I would credit Brian Payne with CICF, who I view as a friend and mentor. Uh, but I think the cultural trail is the thing that comes to mind as this really great indicator of what Indianapolis is like. Keep going. Keep going. Because I, I know about the cultural trail through Next Gen. We, we did something with the cultural trail, yeah, and I got yeah. to learn all about it. Yeah. And it's awesome. But maybe other people are like, you mean that sidewalk I walk on? The pavers? With the, <laughs> the signs next to it? Yeah, yeah. So can you elaborate more on what, what that is and what that means to the city? Yeah, I think it's, uh, to me, it's an indicator of what Indianapolis can be. What makes us uh, unique as a community, uh, connectedness. It's, it's a physical, literal representation. I think it's also a figurative representation. Um, we, we hear a lot from people that moved to Indianapolis that this is a very accessible city. And that can mean a lot of things. It's affordable, right? But culturally, Indianapolis, I, I believe this is true, it nationally has a reputation of being accessible. When you move here, uh, groups of people, spheres of influence, aren't closed off to you. They're actually very open and welcoming. Oh, you're new here. Let me introduce you to people, right? Um, I think other similar cities around the country, you're more likely to get questions like, what high school did you go to? Oh, you're not from here. I think Indy is so good at being accessible. The cultural trail again, literally and figuratively, illustrates that connectivity. Yeah. Um, that our neighborhoods are connected to each other and that it is accessible. Um, I, right, personally, I like to walk and run and bike, so I might be biased in liking things like the cultural trail and the Monon and the canal. Uh, but I think it really has an immeasurable impact on what life downtown looks like. Uh, Brian, you're welcome. <laughs> he's a fervent subscriber of this podcast so appreciate I'm sure yes yeah. um so what does Platt Collective hope to contribute to Indianapolis yeah we get in our industry we have this very privileged opportunity that we get to help connect people to place and so from what I just said right I believe Indianapolis wants to be good at connecting people to place and as realtors, we get to play a unique role in that. We help people find their place. Uh, we used to kind of joke about the slogan that we get to put people in their place. I think it's better to say we get to help them find their place. Sure. And so I think that makes the city a better place to be. If a company does a good job at helping individuals call this place home in the long run, 
that has a positive impact on those individuals, therefore their neighborhoods, therefore the city. Yeah. And I want it to be a great place to live. What does, what's the importance of uh, city to suburb? Hmm, yeah. Uh, a previous mayor of Indianapolis said that you can't be a suburb of nothing. Um, we could really get going on this, but uh, the regional marketplace can only thrive if the city thrives. It's a codependency. Yeah, it is. Um, and I'll look, I'll admit my bias. I live in the city. I work in the city. Everything I do is in the city. And so I, like, I'm biased, right? I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah. And so I think in some ways that makes me an advocate for the city. Um, I think we have some challenges as a region, right? Uh, uh, Professor Drew Klasik at IEPY, if you're right. ever uh, into this, he, I think he does a fantastic job of compiling this data. And one of the things that was compelling the first time I, I heard... Uh, Professor Klasik talk about this was the net job movement daily. Um, so I think we have this challenge of uh, Indianapolis is the job center of our region, even though it is not the housing center of our region. So I'm sure you wanted to talk about tax policy here on this podcast. Of but, course. Um, I think it's a problem that we have uh, tens of thousands of people coming from every donut county into the city on a daily basis, relying on the infrastructure and public services. Beating up the roads. And none of their tax base is coming into the city. Um, I, that's not just a problem for someone that lives in Indianapolis, right? That, that eventually becomes a problem yeah. for someone that lives in any one of those donut counties. The roads, you just joked about it, right? It's yeah. a, both a comical and relevant. Yeah. Uh, example of how that harms the financial model that we have as a region harms everybody because um, it creates this uh, strain on the viability of the economic core. It's a thrilling topic of conversation, I'm sure. It's fascinating, and it's yeah. something that we all need to be considering. Like, it's something we all need to have in the front of our mind. I mean, I, I live out in Hendricks County, mm -hmm. and there's nothing better than getting to go to an exciting restaurant here in Indy or going to a Colts game, and I kind of just pick those amenities, and then I go back out to my community where I worry about what's in front of me, the schools and the roads and the amenities in my, but I don't, none of my, my money as a citizen goes to that, those amenities that I appreciate so much. Yeah. And yeah, totally with you on that. Let's talk about you, you, your, your career. Um, oh, and one thing, I'm sorry, guys. I want to go back to something with Platt. Um, so, Mark, the reason I, I was interested in getting you on this is because I, I do admire your, your approach to, to your office and your philosophy and, and all those great things. Tell me about what focus means to you and your agents and why that's a, a key, key word for you. Yeah, as an industry, I think there's a lot of distractions, right? It's probably true in every industry, but I just, I know ours. So I think there's a lot of distractions. There's things that we think we should be focused on. And you know what? Our industry isn't that complex. We have a client, we learn their needs, and we focus on servicing their needs. And I think it's very fair to say the rest takes care of itself. You have to take the long-term approach to that, uh, but focusing on what matters, I, I think we maybe make the job more complex than it needs to be. And if our singular focus is 
my client has a need that I get to help service. Um, and I, I don't think that oversimplifies it. Um, I think there's all these outcomes and there's a lot of things you need to become good at. And so it's not easy, but I think it is simple. It's hard to get distracted though, isn't it? It, well, sure. And, and look, I, like I said, I think every industry has their distractions. Right. Um, but you know, our industry, um, I think sometimes we think of our industry like it's a sales industry. And I think it's the best thing about our industry is that it's not a sales industry. It's a service industry. We're not selling a product. We're servicing another human being. They have a need. We have a skill set and connections, and so we can service the need that they have. Um, And just focusing in on doing that well over and over again, as hard as it might be, again, it's not complex, so... I think in our industry, that's what focus means to me is to say our job is very clear. And if you can maintain a long-term focus on that. Try to block out all the noise. You will be successful. Yeah. If you service your clients well, you will be successful. I don't think that's a radical statement, but it is a statement that requires focus. Sure. All right, so let's learn about Mark Nottingham. So you've been in the business for 12 years. Um, you said you grew up in Richmond, or more known as RV country, to, RV to people country. who aren't from Richmond. Mm-hmm. And I, I know where it is geographically on the map from the commercials. It's a big red arrow. This is where the RVs are. Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew up in central Indiana. I know all about it. Um, so Richmond, I don't, I don't know anything about if it's a metropolitan. I know it, it's certainly not like a Fort Wayne or Evansville. I mean... Maybe it is. I don't know, Mark. I don't want to talk about something that I don't know anything about. No, it's a small town. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so tell me, grew up in Richmond? Richmond? Is yep. It Richmond? Sorry. Grew up in Richmond? Take it from there. Uh, I left Richmond and went to school in Pennsylvania. I went to Penn State University. Um, uh, IU did recently beat Penn State, and it's important that we establish you that. You know, Andrew, I was actually going to mention that because a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, are IU grads. Uh, I think IU is now 2-21 and 21 <laughs> against Penn State in football, but both of my parents are IU graduates, many of my friends, and so that was a, that was a rough Saturday. You guys are having a rough season. You're 0-2. I know. Yeah. We were, uh, we're about to turn the corner. I'm an eternal optimist. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> uh, so I went to Penn State because I thought I wanted to be a golf professional, mm-hmm. And then I realized I just liked playing the sport. I did not want to be in the industry. It's a very challenging industry. I have a lot of respect for the people that do it. Uh, worked. Uh, hold, hold on. Did you get a? I'm guessing you're really good at golf in high school. Did you get a scholarship or? No. You no. just went out of state to another public public state school to play golf. They did you have, have to try out. No, they have a, a very specific golf management program. Oh, okay, okay. That trains people to be golf professionals like at a country club I got or you. a resort okay, or something sorry. like All that. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, the industry wasn't for me. I ended up studying business. Uh, worked in the nonprofit sector for five years after that for an organization called Young Life. Lived in Lafayette. Uh, worked primarily in West Lafayette. Uh, moved to Indianapolis in 07. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. What did Young Life do? Young Life's a high school outreach organization. Okay. And I'm guessing you learned a lot about collaboration and the value of that. I did, yeah. Um, and I would say, too, the, the value of relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think many, many jobs, right, can can train you the value of relationships, but it's what makes the world work. Um, your relationships are everything. 
I, again, it's cheesy. I get it. That could be a poster with some cheesy photo on it. But I, I believe that that is true, and I think my first job out of college really taught me that. Um, and so that I did that for uh, from, gosh, I worked for that organization until 2007. And then moved to Indianapolis, and within a year of being here, uh, got married and started a career in real estate. Why? Why, why did you move to Lafayette? Why did you move to Indianapolis? What, what's, what's your motivation? Yeah, what brought decisions? us to Indianapolis was IEPY. My wife was pursuing a second degree. So you met her in Lafayette and then you both moved to Indianapolis? We actually knew each other from Richmond. Oh, okay. Um, you both worked at the RV plant together? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we <laughs> Just an assumption. I don't know. Boy, it really, the, uh, Tom Raper really did manage to get an abnormally high... He has a monopoly. Uh, contribution to Richmond. Yeah, no. Um, so she was living in Dayton, Ohio. I was in Lafayette. Uh, she was pursuing a degree at IEPY. And so I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I moved here for a girl. That was the, the answer. She was moving here, so I moved here, and we got married less than a year later. Uh, but honestly, Andrew, we moved here thinking Indianapolis would be a two- or three-year place. And so you seem so... Uh, city focused. You seem like mm -hmm. a urban city focused guy, but you've only been ex you know exposed to it for a little over a decade. Yeah. So did, was that just something you didn't even know about yourself until you experienced it firsthand, and then you just fell in love with this whole new way of living? Man, it's gonna sound like I work for the Indianapolis Chamber of <laughs> Commerce or or visit Indy when I answer this question. Why not? I promise you, I am not on commission from any of those organizations. But we fell in love with the city. It happened really fast. And the way that I would describe it, I think Indianapolis has a number of things that make it great. Uh, it is a rare combination of, on one hand, culture, activity, density, scale. Right. So in, in that category, this is we have a great food scene. We have a good entertainment scene. Uh, we're kind of the sports capital of the Midwest, right? Multiple oh, yeah. professional franchises. Uh, Contract with NCAA. Yeah, and, and when big, you know, you, you're you into uh, heavy metal, right? Like That's how correct. many heavy metal concerts can you go to a year in Indianapolis? All the like, time. Emerson and <clears throat> we uh, get the hot. Yeah, we get the upside of dense urban marketplaces. The other side to this is what I was talking about earlier that makes Indianapolis unique among metropolitan markets is very accessible, very affordable, culturally welcoming, open. And I grew up in a town in Richmond. There's now less than 30,000 people that live in Richmond, and I'm not making this up. If I go to a coffee shop in downtown Indianapolis, I am more likely to see people that I know than I would be in Richmond. I think Indy works like a small town in a lot of valuable ways. And so... That is a super rare combination. And I think, so you could say it's like the best of both worlds. You can have your cake and eat it too. Look, we're never going to be Chicago, and I don't think we should ever try to be. I don't want to be Chicago. No, I, don't, I love it. It's a great city. Mm -hmm. we, we visit there often. It's a special place. But Indianapolis has some things going for it that a city like that never can. So we legit fell in love with the city and realized this was a fantastic place to live and so by the time we'd been here two years, where we thought we were, you know, as my wife finished that degree, we thought that was like, okay, where are we going to go now? Um, but by the time she finished, so oh my goodness, 
we don't want to leave this place. I, right. I think this is home for the, I honestly, I believe this for the rest of my life. I love it here. So let's talk about the, the interest in real estate then. Is that, a, was that another newfound interest that, that came along with? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple things that drove that. Primary was the love of the city. And so if I, as I began to realize how much I loved this place, being in an industry that allows you to interact with that place is, is attractive, right? Oh, yeah. Plenty of other industries would have allowed that, but real estate's one. Um, the second thing is that, you know, that was in 2008. And, you know, anybody can remember that was around here, like, that was a, a rough year for real estate. And I, I, honestly, I got sick of looking at foreclosures uh, and said, okay, I, I think I want to engage somehow in this industry. I didn't know what that was going to look like. Um, the third thing is, as, as the city of Indianapolis had lost its population, so a lot of people don't know this, but we still, in the center of the city, in Center Township, the core of the city of Indianapolis, it does not yet have half of the population that it had in 1950. 190,000 people fewer today in Center Township than there were in 1950. I can see from your face that you're living, struggling. Living there? Correct that the population in Center Township is roughly half of what it was 70 years ago. And as the city uh, disinvested, unpopulated, right, this suburban flight, right, happened in every, not every, but almost every city in the United States, right? Uh, And so we started to see this suburban explosion. All of the population growth in our marketplace has been in the suburbs now for decades. Yep. Look, real uh, real estate brokerages... Uh, they exist off of median-priced housing transactions. Wherever the middle class is going, real estate brokers kind of, they're just going to follow because that's your marketplace, right? Well, so brokerages, like other professional service uh, companies, left the city too. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm looking around in 2008, I'm saying, uh, you know, I'm in my 20s, um, I love the city of Indianapolis. I want to find an industry that engages with the city of Indianapolis. There's not a whole lot of competition at that point in time because most of the brokerages had left the city. And, and Well, they followed un- their business, Understandably right? why. They right? followed the business, yeah. Um, I see an opportunity there, and I say, you know what? Uh, this may or may not work, but if I get to work in an industry and in a geographic place that I'm excited about, Great. We'll see how it goes business-wise, uh, but that's where the city focus comes from. It's just a, a natural outgrowth of loving where I live. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about just hands-on real estate. Um, you got into it. You worked for you worked for, or were you, were you an owner right out of the gate? No, I worked for another company uh, for two years. And so you were just uh, in the trenches realtor for two years? Two years, and then when I went on my own uh, at the beginning of, let me make sure I get my years right, 2011. I will be fact-checking everything yeah, you say. January of 11. Uh, and, and yeah, did not intend at that point, I, I cannot claim that 10 years ago I had in view what Platt Collective is today. Sure. Just because I, I couldn't have claimed to have seen what the city of Indianapolis was going to be by the year 2020, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, I, I knew what I wanted to be true of my work environment. 
So I just want to talk about, in a very basic sense, uh, you're, you're saying that a lot of uh, your, your, you know, your would-be competitors have, have gone out to the donut counties, and, and 2008 yeah. was just a rough spot. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, on the outside looking in, I'm not an expert like you or, or the other the realtors that are probably listening, but I think of, you know, when you're when you're buying a house, you think of you got a big yard, you got a, a house that's dependable, you got good schools, you're within this close to work. What was your sales pitch to somebody in 2008 working downtown? Yeah, so I would say it's it's great that we don't necessarily have to be salespeople of downtown Indianapolis. What we have discovered, because our job is to help a client accomplish whatever goal they have. My experience was that a lot of people want to live in the city of Indianapolis. They just think they can't, right? Correct. Yeah. So I think there's some bad information, right? That decades of disinvestment had led to bad information. Let me give you one example of this. If you live outside of Indiana right now and you get transferred to a company that's going to put you into Indianapolis and you don't know the marketplace very well and you spend 30 minutes on the internet trying to figure out how good Indianapolis public schools are. You and I know what the answer is. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, for years it's been like that. The reputation you're going to see from that sort of research is going to tell you that Indianapolis public schools are somewhere between a failure and marginal performance. The more engaged I have become in the life of the city, the more I think that's terrible information. It's not true. It doesn't jive with the experience of people that live here and experience it on the ground. So, look, my, my profession isn't to be an advocate for IPS, as much as I, I think I am, uh, but that's not my job. My job is to say, oh, okay, now we meet a consumer who is stating that they want to live in the city, and they need a realtor to help them find the right place. Well, we know from National Association of Realtors survey every single year, if it's not the top factor, it's one of the very top factors Proximity to good public education is an incredibly important buyer criteria every year. So you start to mix this together. So if you live in the city of Indianapolis and you're serving clients that want to live in the city of Indianapolis, uh, an intimate knowledge of IPS is important. So you see they, they start to mix. Mm-hmm. So it isn't our job to sell Indy or to advocate for Indy. Our job is to advocate for our clients and to help them accomplish their goals. But what I observed is that there was a lack of professional service for people that wanted to live in the urban marketplace. And so we get to kind of fill that void. Yeah. And say, look, like... And and, And, and fix the narrative. Yeah. 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 At the same time, I think, you know, uh, be fair. And it's it's not our decision where people live, right? Even if we wanted to have that power, we don't. But if they're misinformed, it's a disservice to everybody. It is, and and I think, you know, the job of a realtor is to provide good information to a client. The client then makes a decision about what their goal is, and then the realtor helps to execute. Sure. Right? We we shouldn't be making decisions for people. It actually works against our license law to do that, so we're very well aware of that. But uh, if a realtor is passionate about where they live and very engaged in the life of the community... I think it's fairly obvious that it helps them service the need of the client who's trying to find the right place in that community. Yeah. 
So Mark, uh, just going back to you as a as a professional, um, Richmond, Penn State. IU recently beat them. Penn State University. That same Penn State. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We are all that good stuff. Um, Lafayette, Indianapolis, and it's I, and I I don't know you, Mark, but it kind of seemed like you were a leaf blown in the wind for a couple of years there. You didn't really seem to know what you wanted until it was right in front of you, and then you knew right away. What's inspired you? Mm, yeah. What 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 made you believe this is this is where I'm supposed to be and this is what I need to do? Because it sounds a, like you have a lot of unconventional, against the the grain kind of ideas. Yeah, I mean, right I when mean, everybody's moving out, you're going in. Yeah, and I wish I could say that was strategic. I think uh, leaf blowing in the wind might be a fair <laughs> description. <laughs> I hope I didn't insult you. No, no, no. That's just I kind of the vibe I'm getting. Is totally fair. Um, and somebody'd be like, "Hey, that was a great." strategic decision to start a real estate company in Indianapolis in 2011 like because look what's happened and I kind of smile and say like yeah look what's happened like I knew it was coming I, I knew there was great things happening in the city and that there was good momentum and opportunity but I can't claim to have seen what was going to happen sure. from 2010 to now yeah right um no I, honestly I think real estate is this bizarre industry very few people have this clear intentional path of ending up in this industry. This is like second and third career for almost everybody that's in it. I know. We all stumbled into this somehow and then realized if you like working with people and servicing something that they want to accomplish, if that energizes you, this could be a great industry. So it's not houses, right? Like disclaimer, a little secret here. I could kind of care less about houses. But I love working with people and seeing the process that we go through together help them achieve a goal that they have, like the good outcome for the client that like gets me going. Yeah. So that's what it was. Uh, this was in now in, in 2009. Uh, I don't know if people remember this, but the federal government had issued a first time homebuyer tax credit. Um, it was a $9,000 tax incentive in 2009. If you'd never bought a house to buy a house as a part of the Stimulus, recovery. Recovery, yeah. Um, and if you were a realtor in your 20s, this was like fantastic yeah. news for you because now all my peers, right, like not only is about finding the right place, but now there's like timing. Major incentive. Involved, right, yeah. and, and financial incentive. So it didn't take very many of those first-time purchases for me to have that internal positive experience of like, oh, my gosh, I got to play some small part and that individual or family achieving one of their major life markers. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And, and so that's kind of what did it. It's just a, a couple of those. It's like, wow, it helps me. Like, I get to engage in the life of this place that I love, and I get to combine that with that fun aspect of that person needed to accomplish something, and I helped them do it. Uh, so. It's what makes our job really great. So before uh, we started rolling, uh, you told me about this incredibly boring podcast that you're interested in called Fried Fried Egg. Fried Egg. And it's about golf architecture. Mostly about architecture in the golf world, yes. Those listening did not mishear me. Golf ar architecture. And, and Mark and goes out of his way to listen to these things. The occasional uh, focus on equipment. <laughs> of course, because who doesn't industry. want to talk about golfing equipment yeah, yeah. in their free time? But... What we talked about was what's awesome about that is we all have these interests in what podcasts and the internet 
has kind of done for us is that we've realized that other people share these weird interests too. There are other nerds. And I kind of feel like that kind of goes into your passion for indie and moving in and that you're realizing there's other citizens of indie who have that same feeling when they step into the city that you did and now you can congregate with them and help them find a place to live, strengthen the community. Yeah. You know, all the, all those things that are satisfying professionally and personally. And I kind of feel like that. I feel like when we were joking about the podcast, it's kind of the same thing. Like you're saying in Indy, like there's got to be other people here that feel the same way that I do. Yeah, Indianapolis. Uh, it's as a place. It's citizens. Uh, the people that live here. Yeah, actually, I replaced that with the people that live here, not citizens. Uh, the people that live in Indianapolis love it. They love it here. One of the things that uh, my wife Sarah and I, when we moved here. Uh, we had we were renting for a little while, and we had this experience as we were getting to know people that lived in the city. Uh, it was this super common thing for someone that lived in Irvington or Fall Creek Place or uh, Garfield Park or like you name it, right? When they found out that you might be a home buyer, they would start selling you on their neighborhood oh, because sure. they legitimately loved it. Yeah, and so I think that's kind of what you're getting at that. Uh, people in India, they love their neighborhoods. They love their streets. They advocate for them. I think that's really cool. I don't know if that's super unique. I'm sure that's probably true in other cities. Yeah. But it was a new experience for both of us. Yeah. Um, to be in a place where people legit love where they lived and were working really hard to make it a better place to live. That's like... Indianapolis 101. I think, like you said, it's, it's probably not unique to Indianapolis, but it is more of a secret. We all know about Wrigleyville in Chicago, and yeah, everybody yeah, wants yeah. to live there, and it's cool and all that stuff. But yeah. everybody knows about that. But not everybody in the country knows about Irvington yeah. and their Halloween celebration. That's a good example. You know what I yeah. mean? It's just a little more of a low-key, and I feel like that's the way we like it, right? I, I think that makes it way cooler. Yeah, it, that's right. Uh, like we talked about, you know, Indy doesn't have to be Chicago, and I think it should never try to be. But there is some stuff that makes Indianapolis this really special place, and... Uh, it, it even can kind of feel like our own, I don't know, like you're on the inside, mm -hmm. I, I guess, in, in a way. But yet it's still welcoming um, and uh, a, a place where people can make it mm -hmm. their place. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't do it perfectly. I'm not trying to... Look, the people in Indianapolis are human beings in our neighborhoods and our city. Like We've got some major challenges and we have some blind spots and things that we're not doing well. Uh, but I, I still love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a really great place. So you touched on it, but I want to just ask you outright. Uh, professionally, uh, broker owner, Platt Collective, 12 years in the business, how do you define your success? Yeah, I think if we're good at servicing clients, the rest takes care of itself. I, it starts with that. And so if we're creating a culture where realtors can thrive and be good at servicing their clients and keep getting better, the numbers follow yeah and so I, look it sounds like a i don't know a motivational speech or whatever and it's not really intended to be that just back to that focus thing that if you define success by taking care of customers needs then in the long run the numbers will always follow well mark you have uh lit a fire of pride of my 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 town indianapolis you know and uh, what a great talk to be the last episode of Leave Your Shoes by the Door for 2020. Uh, Mark, thanks for being on here. Thanks for having me. This is great.